0: Okay, well, good morning. It's good to see you. Um, My name's Steve, for those of you who don't know me, and um, I'm married to Tammy, and we kind of help lead this thing we call church. Um, Before we dive into the talk this week, um, next weekend we have a number of our young people going off to DTI. Um, How many in here are going to DTI? quite Quite a few of you. Um, so we we thought I think there's about there's a crowd of about 20 of us in total going to DTI uh, next week, um, and um, we thought it would just be good, I thought it'd be good if we could just pray for those going to DTI, pray for the leaders um, especially, um, but but also pray for uh, some of our kids who are going to be going off there. So if if that's you, if you're going to DTI, why don't you stand up uh, where you are? And um, we will we will pray for you. Uh, if there's someone standing up by you, why don't you go and lay your hands on them? Um, ask them nicely. But um... and so, Father, we just um, we just thank you, Lord, for what you're doing uh, in our movement, uh, in our family of churches, amongst our youth and young people, Lord. And we just pray uh, next weekend as they gather, a thousand young people from across our movement gather together, Lord, that we pray that they would encounter you. Uh, They would experience your presence, Lord, in fresh and in new ways, Lord. That that this weekend would be a transformative time, Lord, uh, where our young people come back and they lead us. They lead the way with us, Lord. They, they show us what it means to really follow you, Lord. So be upon them, Lord, we pray, uh, this week. And just give them an amazing weekend. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. we Okay. We are we're in that period of time... Uh, where we, we, we're not going to be doing a particular teaching series for the next few weeks. We're just going to be doing some different one-off things. And um, this morning, I want to talk a little bit about change. Um, and um, I- I'm conscious that it's quite an emotive subject to, to talk about uh, and something that stirs up uh, different things in us. But um, I don't know if you've noticed... Um, but it kind of feels like we're living in a time of change right now, doesn't it? Our, our country is changing. I don't know if you've you've noticed that. Just this week, uh, the Prime Minister announced the Snap election, uh, which is all about a forthcoming change in our relationship with the European Union. And what's really interesting about this is that in the midst of all this change, and it's quite. Climatic change, uh, our nation is, is kind of almost uh, divided, isn't it? Equally, with what people think is the, the right thing to do. You might remember in the referendum uh, last year, you remember almost the country was almost split 50 50. You know, it was 52% in favor of change compared to 48% against and i don 't know if you remember that there was a debate around the referendum question. Um, you know what should the question be on the on the voting paper? How should it be phrased and the government wanted it to be a simple yes no um, um, answer. you know should the u k remain in the european union yes no but but actually, there was um, a little bit of concern around phrasing the question that way, because people thought it would favour the status quo, because generally, people have a tendency uh, to prefer things to stay as they are. And so a simple yes-no question was felt that the, the vote against change uh, would be would be fi- would be favoured. So the electoral committee uh, decided to to change the question, and it was should the should the United Kingdom remain a member of the European Union? Should the United Kingdom leave the European Union? So, do you remember that you voted? Yeah, okay. And um, and it was it, it was interesting in that um, referendum campaign how the campaigners on. On both sides, tried to simplify the issues, didn't they? They tried to simplify, and I think it's because we we're pretty simple as people, uh, bless you. And um, and so they tried to simplify the issues a little bit. On the Remain side, essentially, what they were saying was um, no to any kind of change. They based their argument on the risk of. Change and on what harm it would do, how we would be much better um, if we stayed as we are. Um, You might remember their campaign was dubbed Project Fear, um, which played on our worries about change. Uh, Yet the leave side focused on the great opportunity we had, that this was a once in a lifetime opportunity. How many times did you hear that? This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Now's the time, they said. And I know there may be the odd bump in the road, as we might have experienced. This is the right decision at the right time. It's the right way to go forward. So the, the remain side focused on being afraid uh, of the risks and the downsides, whilst the leave um, were we're focused on being excited about the benefits of the future, the upside. Now, this, of course, is potentially a dangerous illustration uh, to use in church, because in a room this size, I can imagine um, we're pretty divided. Uh, Roughly half of you... Um, will hold one view, and the other half of you will hold the wrong. I mean, a different, <laughs> a different view. Um, and, and I think it's safe to say, when, generally, when we're handling change, when things are going to change, across the board, nearly in every situation, we can generally bring people down to two kind of groups. Um, there's those who are excited by change, Hands up if you're excited by change. A few of you. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, excited by change. And some people just don't like change at all. Who who, who are you? Just don't like change at all. Okay. And the truth is, the way we respond to things changing um, often isn't an intellectual thing. Often it isn't what our brain tells us. Often the way we respond to change is actually an emotional one. Often we respond to change out of how we feel, what our feelings are, are saying to us. And so as a result of our feelings, some of us try to avoid change at every single cost. And yet others, change means progress. If nothing changes, we're not going anywhere. Uh, you know, we're stuck in a rut. No change means no game. But for others, change means taking unnecessary risks. It, if if change, is, change is something that might spoil things, why do we need to change when everything is good? Why make change for change's sake? I hear that one quite a lot. Why change something when it's not broken? We can just carry on as we are. If we change things, we might lose something. Something might go. But regardless of how we feel about change, there is a sense that change is inevitable. It's, it's, it's a part of life. And, and and the one thing that is often constant in life is that change is, is here to stay. And so as we think about this theme of change this morning, um, and as we kind of catch up with a few developments that are going on in the life of the church, I, I want to start by thinking about how change affects us on a personal level. Um, because our ability to cope with change as a, as a community, as a church family, really is, it comes down to how we cope with change as, as individuals. And so I've just, just got three things. I want to think about how we respond to change, how we might deal with change. And so, just just three things. Should we quickly pray? Because I feel a little bit distracted. So let's pray, and uh, we'll jump in. So, Father, we just um, we just invite your presence right now. We just um, we just ask that you would uh, come and speak to our hearts, Lord. Reveal something of you. Uh, this morning, Lord. Show us what it means to be people who keep in step with you, who respond to the things that you want to do in our lives, Lord. And speak to us, Lord, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So change starts with new life, not just us trying harder. In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, Paul writes this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the whole old has gone, the new is here. See, at the very heart of our faith, uh, it revolves around change. But it's not based on turning a new leaf or trying harder, but it's based on living out a, a new life. See, change always involves something passing away and something new taking place. And eventually we have to embrace change in our life, actually regardless of, of who we are. Change comes to all of us, whether we're young or old, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're successful or whether we're experiencing failure. We all need to change regardless of who we might be. And, and we can understand that and attempt to change, I think, for, for the wrong reasons often. Um, we can think, if I change, then God will like me more. Uh, I'll become more acceptable. That if I make the right adjustments, if I try harder, if I'm a little bit more obedient, um, then surely God will like me more. But the truth is, and the truth of the gospel is, if nothing ever changed, God would still accept us. God would still embrace us if nothing changed. You see, it's his acceptance that leads to our change. Not our change that leads to his acceptance. And it's his power in us. It's the life of Christ in us. That empowers us and enables us to embrace change as it comes. See, everything else that we try to do to change things is, is exhausting. I don't know if you've noticed that. When we try and change things, it kind of becomes tiring, doesn't it? It wears us down. Simply trying to turn a new leaf is, is nothing more than trying to put a temporary fix on things, which just leads to Frustration. In, in John chapter 3, Jesus was approached by someone who needed change, this, this character called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, um, he had the right credentials, he, he, he had the right spiritual training, he was in the right position in society, but he knew something needed to change. He was morally and definitely religiously right and trying hard. But Jesus informed him. He said, Nicodemus, you must become born again. John 3.3. 3. You know, he didn't need any more rules to follow to make long-lasting change. But rather, he needed to experience new life. I think Nicodemus is like us sometimes, that we need to unlearn ways of thinking. We need to unlearn the way that we've shaped our lives and this idea of rules and regulations bringing about lasting change. I don't know, they they don't work for me. You see, rules can modify our behaviour, can't they? But only the gospel, only what Jesus has done, only on a reliance upon him can impart new life and lasting change. And so change starts for all of us with new life. Not by us, you know, trying harder. You know, if I just squeeze out some change, it's going to happen. But it doesn't work that way. Secondly, change is a process and not a destination. You know, none of us ever get to a place of being everything God has called us to be this side of eternity. The change we encounter because of Jesus is because of what Jesus has done for us, and it's how God is then shaping our lives. The Apostle Paul, he wrote this to the to the Philippians, Philippians one six. He says, "I'm sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion." until the day of Christ Jesus. See, God is starting and completing the work of change in each one of us. You see, real change happens the moment we we surrender our lives to him. The, The Bible says we become new creations. And yet at the same time, on a daily basis, we're being changed into his likeness. We're being changed into the likeness of the one that we're following day by day. God wants us to grow in knowledge and connection to him. Peter, he writes this in in 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world uh, caused by evil desires. You see, it's amazing, isn't it? Through what Jesus has done, we share in his divine nature i mean what a waste <laughs> what a waste god gets nothing out of this deal but he gives and you see his sacrifice god uh, god des- you know he's got this desire to root out the kind of sinful nature that's in us and replace it with a brand new character And he changes us. He's, he's changing us uh, continually. It's a continual process that's going on. He changes us that we might reflect his glory. Again, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we all with unveiled faces are reflecting the glory of the Lord and being transformed or, or being changed into the same image from glory to glory. This is uh, from the Lord who is the Spirit. So when we turn our eyes to him, that's where we find life. That's where the process of transformation and change takes place. And one day, the process of change is going to be over. It's going to be complete. It's going to be complete. That one day we will enter into the fullness of everything Jesus has achieved. But right now, that change is a process. It's a process. It's a journey that we're on. It's not the destination. Where we're heading to is completion. That the the exchange from death to life has has happened in a moment. That that moment we turn to him. But it's continually happening moment by moment as we become more and more like him. And then the last thing on change is is, is change is letting go and, and grabbing hold. So I don't think God forces anybody to change. But he calls us to change. God says things like, be holy as I'm holy. And that actually sounds like a hard thing to do. I don't know about you, but that that kind of sounds hard. But the possibility comes because God works in our life not because of our ability. It's it's what God is doing. The change that God works out in our lives empowers us to move from religious behaviour to an acceptance that God is working in our lives. He's, He's working stuff out in our lives. Ephesians 4 Uh, Verse 22 to 24, it says this You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, we're called to take off our old nature and take hold of a new nature. The Bible often refers to it as the to put off the old man and take on a new man. But we all know, don't we, that letting go of what's familiar is sometimes difficult. Even when the new thing is often better, it's better for us. For some reason, it's... It's part of our psyche to resist change, even if it will help. And change is often a difficult process, as we've all seen. And change is difficult for a number of reasons. Change can be difficult because sometimes we're stubborn. I don't know if you've noticed that. If you're not sure, turn to the person next to you and say, you're stubborn. Um, but we're stubborn, aren't we? We're stubborn people. We like to keep hold of things. Many of us are like, out of my cold, dead, bloody hands, you know. And um, But often, well, there is times where we need to unclench our fist and allow Jesus to to lead us into change. So we can find change difficult because we're stubborn. We can find it difficult because we get comfortable. We get comfortable things. And we take on this mentality, if it's not broken, and we, if we know how it works, then why should I change it? Some of you are like that with mobile phones. I see some of you, you've still got those phones with buttons on. I don't know where they come from. Um, but you know, it's not broken. It still works. Why should I change it? And yeah, we do that all the time, don't we? We get comfortable with stuff in our lives, but often when we get comfortable with stuff in our lives, it robs us from living life fully, living in the fullness of life that that's for us. We can get comfortable doing church things and uh, uh, things that we've worked on tirelessly for years and years and years. And yet, because of our comfortableness, it keeps other people away. We can get comfortable with our standards of living, which mean we're never quite ready to take a risk for the sake of the kingdom, the things that God might have called us to, the things He might have whispered in the in the secret place of our hearts. So, change can be difficult because we're comfortable. Change can be difficult because we get afraid. Fear of the unknown is one of the main reasons why we don't do change. And we we can develop this fear of not wanting uh, to hear God say anything to us. Because what if he asks me something I don't want to do or I don't know how to do? And so we shy away from Offering all of ourselves uh, to Jesus. We live kind of paralyzed Christian lives, never fully embracing everything He might have for us. And then change can be difficult because change hurts. It's hard to change. Even Good things changing cost us something, and it can affect our sense of security. You know, leaving our comfort zones uh, can have a rippling effect that that actually carries a price to it. But actually, some of the things that God wants to give us, some of the things that God wants to put in our hands might require change, might require us to reposition ourselves, to, to think differently about things, to, to consider behaving in, in different ways. And because change hurts, often churches and individuals never change until, until the pain of staying in the same place grows bigger than the pain of actually changing. I don't know if you've ever ever noticed that. And whether that might be, you know, just minor adjustments or, or doing a complete over, overhaul of things, change always comes with a, with a price tag. It hurts to change the way we do things, to correct our behavior, to move to a different place or to do another thing. But change is often necessary even when it hurts us. And so the only question is, what hurts most? Staying where we are or getting where we want to be? What hurts the most? Do we just stay put where we are right now? Or do we attempt to embrace what it is God might have for us? And I want to propose that actually the right change at the right time is worth facing. It's worth, it's worth facing our stubbornness for, isn't it? It's, it's, worth, it's worth challenging our comfort zones for. It's, it's worth addressing our fears and the hurt that we might feel in seasons of change. And so how does change affect you personally? How, how do you deal with things changing around you? And so I kind of settle that as a caveat, really. Um, you know, as we enter into uh, a, a new season of change in the life of our church, what, you know, what, what change is afoot? And some of you might think, well, things change around here all the time. And um, I think it's true to say... I think we've got quite a healthy, as a church, quite a healthy relationship with change. Um, And it's mainly because of me, I think. Uh, It's just my personality. I get bored very easily. Um, (laughs) um, But what is Jesus saying to us as a church right now? And I guess the question that we've been asking for a number of months is, in light of what Jesus might be saying to us, what adjustments uh, do we need to make in order to get there? Uh, well, when we brought this building, um, we, we knew uh, it was kind of like a strategic move. We didn't plan. As many of you know, we didn't plan to buy this building. We had no plan uh, to buy a building. Um, but uh, we, are, we are here. And, um, you know, even probably I remembered recently, about five years ago five or six years ago, someone gave us a prophetic word. And, and they said they felt the Lord was giving us a building. Uh, and this building would be on the inner ring road of Northampton. Um, and it would be a building that's currently occupied by someone else. Um, but don't worry, you know, it's yours. And they said, and this building has thousands of cars drive past it every day. And, um, and so, you know, we didn't go looking for that building after that. Um, but what we did do, we put that prophecy on the shelf and just thought, okay, God, we'll save that uh, for, for a rainy day. And so, you know, God has been faithful to his word, hasn't he? God has done that. We're in that place, that place that God spoke over us all that time ago uh, is, is this place. Now, um, and, and as, we hit, as we're here and as things develop uh, and this site continues to be developed, um, you know, we've always said owning this property is nothing more than a tool in our hands, um, and it's a tool for us to steward and and use wisely. Um, you know, that we don't want to be keepers of mausoleums. You know, we, we don't want to just have a building for building's sake. We don't want to, but we want this to be a tool for the sake of the kingdom. Um, we said a lot before we moved in here that we wanted it to be a place of worship and compassion. Uh, and those, those of you familiar with the the vineyard man or the vineyard person, that's what we call it now, is it? The vineyard person, the legs of the vineyard person, it's a it's an illustration, okay? The legs of the vineyard person is worship and compassion. They're they're the legs that we stand on. And and, and so um one of the one of the uh, challenges that we face is 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 really how do we take the resources that we have. And, and make this place what we believe it's called to be. It's to be a place where people worship God and experience the compassion, compassion and love of our Savior. And so, um, you know, we want this place to be full uh, of, of people who are experiencing those things. And so, the, one of the challenges that we face as we step into what we believe, we believe God's called us to do with this tool. With this building is space, um, you know we've got a 300 seat auditorium downstairs which needs to be developed, and we're slowly doing that process. Um, but in the interim, we're still uh, we're still fighting for space right now. Um, the church, according to church app, the church is about 240 adults and children. Uh, that means uh, about two-thirds only ever show up on a Sunday. Um, I don't know where the rest of you go. Uh, maybe you can let me know. Um, but it also means, um, on the whole, we're kind of generally always uh, fighting for space. And um, on one level, that's a good thing, isn't it? Um, you know, um, there's not a lot of churches that are fighting for space. Um, and so having the uh, privilege of fighting for space is, is, is quite a good thing. Um, and it also means that when we gather here on a Sunday, things are fairly full. I don't know if you've noticed that. Have you, have you noticed that things are fairly full uh, uh, and fairly, uh, fairly busy around here? And I, I really think that we are at a tipping point. Um, Rick Warren, the famous pastor in the US, he says, regardless of a church's size, the average person in church can know 67 people. Um, Don't ask me why Uh, 67. Um, But that means the optimal church size is probably 68. So it's me and 67 of you. Okay? Um, um, But let's say... The 68 of us, we want to be outward focused, don't we? Because the church is meant to be outward focused. So let's round that number up to 100. So let's say the optimal size of a church is 100. That's the size that most of us would be comfortable with. And we we could possibly know 100 people because ultimately... That's what we want, don't we, in church? We want to know everybody. We want to make sure we know everybody. Um, but in our process of wanting to make sure we know everybody, I think there's a danger that we, we put a sign up in our hearts that says, no new members here. No new people welcome here. That's kind of what happens uh, in a lot of churches. I don't know if you've noticed that. Most churches are under 50, 60 people. And what happens is psychologically we put this sign up that says, no one else is welcome here. And um, because knowing everyone's important. You know, we I, I hear people say with disgust sometimes, the church is getting so big, I just don't know anybody anymore. And and, and that's kind of what what we experience. But for some reason, despite our ability to only kind of know 100 people, Jesus still has a passion to grow his church. He has a passion for bigger churches. He has a passion to answer our prayer and say, says, God, let your kingdom come. Now, you might say, church size isn't important, Steve. And that's true in one sense. But if the reason for remaining small is because I prefer it that way, then we've totally missed the point, haven't we? So Jesus, I believe, is most definitely in the church growing business. And I think our role is to make the necessary adjustments to partner with him in what he wants to do. And so as you've heard us say for a number of times over the last few months, we need to make room. We, we need more room. And if you, if you imagine a, a family sitting around a big banqueting table, you know, with those big long benches along each side of the table, if you can imagine a table full of people like that. And essentially what we need to do is we need to shuffle up the bench. We need to shuffle up the bench and we need to make some more room. And so you would have heard me say that um, when a room like this is 80% full, it's full. And, And whilst we're meeting on this floor, we actually continue to run to capacity. And in fact, on a busy week, it's often standing room only, particularly for the first period of the service. And a busy room often feels exciting, doesn't it? it? It has a burst to it. There's energy, excitement. But it also comes with loads of challenges. It comes with loads and loads of challenges. And, and, and so whilst we wait for a larger space on the lower floor, we believe Jesus still wants to grow his church uh, and there's still people he wants to invite, uh, uh, and in fact there's thousands of people he still wants to invite who, who walk and drive past this place every single day. But I believe the onus is on us uh, to make room. See, Jesus ultimately does the inviting, but we're the ones who make room. And so many of you have heard us say, we believe it's time uh, for us to go to two uh, morning services. And um, we've done a lot of thinking about this. We've, we've talked to you a lot about this. Um, uh, we've taken advice from some other churches who have made a similar transition. Uh, and we believe we've kind of formulated a basic idea of what we potentially uh, are going to do. And so the plan is to have uh, two services on a morning. Some of you have asked, why, why not an evening service? And we've tried to do things in the evening, and um, often it becomes like the, the top-me-up service for people from other churches. And whilst that's great, I'm not here for them. Uh, I'm here for people who don't know Jesus. And so for this time period, we don't feel it's right to do an evening service, um, and so we're going to move to two morning services. One will be at 9.30, and a, another, for some of you who like a lie-in, will be 11.15. Um, so if you're late to church, you will have no excuse. Um, the services are going to be slightly shorter. We're going to go from 90 minutes uh, to 75 minutes. Uh, they will be identical. Same worship, same talk. At the 9.30 service, we're going to offer a full kids ministry. Um, uh, so uh, youth, uh, mini grapes, Club V, it's all going to take place at the 9.30 service. At the 11.15 service, we're going to offer Club V and youth and um, the children that would be mini greats' age, we're going to have like a, a self-service parent. Parents can access the area themselves and we'll put a live feed uh, through to that room. But our long-term plan is that both services would be identical and, uh, and a full kids ministry at both. Um, We plan plan to serve refreshments and donuts in between the two services. And so what we want to do is we want to create a space where we all meet in the middle. Okay, so for those of you who are leaving, um, you get your coffee and donut on the way out. And those of you who are arriving, you get your coffee and donut on the way in. And you get to interact with one another. And so for some of you who have been like, I'm not going to see my friends. Well, you can see them the other six days of the week, just to let you know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But also, you can get to see them in that in-between time. So, um, and, and, and so the plan is that um, you can come to whichever service you like. Um, and I, I one, of, one of the things that we've noticed is that, um, as I said, about a third of you are always missing on a Sunday. And I'm sure you've all got good reasons. Um, um, but sometimes it might be that, I don't know, maybe you've got a lunch commitment, okay? And, and it's like, do I go to church or do I go for this lunch commitment? And so the idea now is, is that if you've got a lunch commitment, you can still come to a 9.30 service and still fulfill that lunch commitment. And then some of you may go to bed late on a Saturday as a one-off. And, um, and when that happens, you might think, oh, I'm going to skip church tomorrow. I'm going to lay in bed. Well, you can do that, and you can get here for 11.15, okay? Um, and so that's, that's the deal. And so we're not going to sort of, sort of suggest which service you come to. We're just going to su- sort of say, come to whichever suits you on the day. And what we envisage is that that number will probably even itself out over time. And some of you will have a preference for one service uh, over the other, And you might think, why are we doing this, Steve? Why on earth? Do you really love the sound of your own voice that much that you want to preach twice on a Sunday morning? No, I don't. In fact, we're going to record the first service and play it, and I'm going to go home. No, um, that isn't true. Um, But we believe we could make room for another 100 people if we do this. Right now, I... We, we try and keep statistics, but since the start of this year, we've seen over 60 new people come through our door. Now, not all of them stay, and we know that because some of them think it sucks. Um, but some of, them, some of them don't come back simply because there's no room. And there's nothing worse, is there, than being in a room where it feels too full for you where there's no space for you to get involved. And so that's what we're doing. We're creating space. We're shuffling up the bench and making room for others. And we believe over time, we could gather another 100 people over those two services. And so um, when's this likely to happen? Um, Well, we're going to wait for the autumn term, uh, potentially the second or third week, uh, in, in September. We may even push it to October. And uh, you might also think, well, what's going to happen? We're going to do that, and then eventually, you know, um, we're going to finish the development of this building, and we're going to move downstairs into a 300-seater auditorium. Um, and, um, yeah, we, we are going to do that eventually. And um, But if it's a 300-seater auditorium, and if... If, if we're 80% full is full, then actually it's not a 300-seater auditorium, is it? <laughs> and so, you know, if this works, and I'm asking you to trust me on this, if this works, actually when we move downstairs, there'll be no reason why we don't just carry on. Because we just make even more room. <laughs> even more room for Jesus to invite more people into what he's doing amongst us. And so, I understand that this is a lot to digest, okay? And if you've got any questions, then I suggest you email pete.willis at uh, centralvineyard.co.uk. He's ready and armed. Uh, um, But maybe it does push some buttons for some of us. Maybe some of us think, "Oh no," and some of those things I 've described about change are stirring up in you right now as we talk about what we plan to do that that feels uncomfortable, Steve <laughs> that that doesn't feel quite right that that doesn't make sense to me right now, and you know like when kids get wind, when they drink milk, and you pat them on the back, and then they go." Ugh. Some of us might need a bit of that in the next couple of weeks, okay? And just as we process what's going on, what what Jesus is doing amongst us. But I don't know know how you feel, but I believe Jesus wants to grow his church, right? And he he wants us to continue to grow. He's brought us this far. And actually, we can't go any further if we stay here, if we stay as we are in this place if we want to continue to grow, if we want to continue to invite people to the table, if we want to see people come into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus, then we have to make space. Now, there's going to be a cost. It means we're going to have two slightly smaller services for a while. It might mean that some of us have to be a little bit extra committed um, for another hour on a Sunday. You know, it might might mean that some of us say, you know what, I'm going to do double time this week. You know, I'll be here at 8.30 and I'll go home at 1. Um, Because we believe we're doing this because Jesus wants to grow his church. He wants his church to grow.